25,000 selfies. That is what the average millennial, they say, is going to take in their life. 25,000. Now, I think they're wrong because I think something's going to replace selfies down the road somewhere. You know, they already have drones that will follow you around. Did you know this? And will they, based on your phone app, it will follow you and it can take pictures as you go. That's probably coming where you'll start seeing a lot of those, I imagine, coming along. Why, I don't know, but, you know, that's the way it is. It's also estimated, this is by Samsung, who would know because they do a lot of phones, that the average millennial spends an hour a week doing selfies in terms of posing themselves, editing, posting, all those things. It's a big thing. It is something that has, if you think 15, 20 years ago, selfie? What's that? And yet today it's persuasive. In fact, the first picture I want to show is, is a picture of the first space selfie. This was taken in 2011. And I like this picture. And the reason why I like it is because you can't really see who it is, can you? You have no idea who that is. And the reality with selfies is even though you see the face, you have no idea who that person really is, what they're going through, what they're experiencing in life. Oh, you may get indications, but it's not necessarily the truth. What do we really look like? Well, here's what I look like at 6.30 in the morning without doing anything. <laughs> Okay, take it down. <laughs> Let's talk about what we really look like. Let's talk about a selfie that really matters. I'm going to call it a spiritual selfie. Where you look at yourself, you examine yourself, and you say, who am I? What am I showing? What am I representing? You know, the Bible is full of moments for us to gain instructions about how to take the spiritual selfie. You go on the internet, and the selfies that we take with our cameras, there's lots of instructions about how you're supposed to do it. You know, the one that I took, I had my, my neck down, and that causes you to see the folds and those type things. You're supposed to hold your neck up. Did you know that? All those things... But there's spiritual instructions about how to take a spiritual selfie. And we find them throughout the Bible. And I want to look at one of those places. Because as we approach the new year, we all have a tendency to take a selfie. I'm not talking about with the camera, but with our lives. What's going on? What am I going to be facing this year? How am I going to do? And those are things we think about. So as we think about that, let's look at a selfie in terms of spiritually, what we look at. And we find that in Colossians 3, where Paul is writing the church, and he's already talked about who God is and what God has done for us. And then he turns the focus 
to what does that mean for us? If what God has done through Christ has given us salvation, has given us a family to belong to, if the invisible God has displayed himself visibly through Jesus Christ and has given us the opportunity to follow him, therefore, what do we do about it? And that's where we pick up with chapter 3 of Colossians. He says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Remember that, folks. The first thing as a Christian you need to realize is that you are different. You've been raised with Christ. You're totally different. And Paul's going to continue to talk about this difference that happens. But because you've been raised with Christ, therefore, you're interested in the things that Christ is interested in. And he then describes what we're caused to do. He says, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. Our focus when we take that spiritual selfie is to think about what Christ has already given us, what we already have, what we're promised, and what we live in. That spiritual selfie is to relate to what waits us in heaven, what we live in, and the experience of having a relationship with God today. That's where our focus is, our hearts, our minds. That brings us to what the Israelites looked at time and time again as their favorite scripture about letting God's love be a part of who we are and that we give all our heart, soul, mind, and strength to him. Paul's taking that and he's saying that should be our focus. The things above, not on the things down here now does he mean reject all the things down here don't think about them no he's not saying that but our focus is based on what we know of God already and what he's doing in our lives already that's where our focus is that's where we view things from the eternal perspective not from this situation of earth that comes and goes So he says, set your mind to these things. Focus on these things. That should be where your focus is. That should be where our focus is. And then he says, for you died. You were raised with Christ, but you died. He's talking about baptism, that symbol of baptism. Our lives are different. The old self is gone. It's no more. You died. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When, you, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will, you will also appear with him in glory. We're hidden with Christ to be revealed. And what does that word hidden mean? Does that mean we're playing hide and seek? That's not what he's talking about. Do you know how many cells you have in your body? How about 37.2 trillion cells in your body? 
And did you know that one cell has approximately 20,000 genes in it? And you're going to say, well, prove it to me. I can't. Now, we could go find a microscope somewhere, one of those fancy ones, and we can start looking. But from all appearances, you have no idea I have 37.2 trillion cells within my body. It doesn't even come across in your mind. But it can be revealed. It can be shown. That's what he's talking about here. We, it doesn't look like we have a big footprint or something or that we walk differently because we're a Christian. There's nothing different about us on the outside because of our faith. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing different on the inside because it's very different. It's hidden at the moment. And it shows itself, as we're going to see, through the things we do, but just looking at us, you're not going to tell a difference. But one day, it will be shown. It is the truth that will be revealed. And we all look forward to that day. And Paul tells us all that to get us focused on what setting your mind, setting your heart is all about when you talk about heaven. Realize who you are. That's where you start with your focus on yourself and and how you live your life. But then he switches gears a little bit. The next verse, in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. These things are written almost 2,000 years ago. Does this list still apply? Better believe it. Now, how we do these things may have changed, but they're still there. And we still face them every day. And we still have to look at ourselves and say, do these things live within my life? Is this what I am? And Paul is saying, put it to death. Put it to death. Don't let it linger. Kill it. Destroy it. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. A place where you once lived. One of the benefits of being a pastor, a lot of times you get to hear people's stories of life. And one dear sweet saint lady who's gone on to be with the Lord told me a story that uh, is amazing to me. She, she talked about the first time that she and her husband had just gotten married and she had not seen where they were going to be living after they got married. She hadn't seen it. And so she walks into the place with him And there's holes in the floor where you can see the ground. She said, when you swept, you didn't even worry about a dustpan because you just swept through the holes. (laughs) She said, the wind, it might go, it might be decreased by about 10 miles an hour inside versus outside. And she said, it took everything I had not to cry. 
because of where I was. It was miserable. But you know what? When I talked to her, she wasn't living there anymore. She was living in a nice house. Was it a mansion? No. But it keep her warm? Yes. Did she have to use a dustpan? Yes. She once lived in a place that she hated. But now she understands what she has. Folks, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at the life that we once lived and say, as Paul says in Philippians, it's a dung heap. It's rubbish. It's trash. It's totally worthless. It stinks. That's the way we're supposed to look at our old self. And Paul keeps focusing on that. As he goes on one more time, he brings across the point. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lip. Now these things oftentimes are more apparent that he lists in this section. These are things, when somebody's angry, they're not hiding it too well, are they? When someone is is filthy language, they're definitely not hiding that. It's sort of funny, every once in a while when I was a pastor, you'd get in a conversation with people who didn't know you, strangers, and they'd start telling a joke that wouldn't be that great. And then later on in conversation, they find out you're a pastor, and you know the first words out of the mouth? Oh, I'm so sorry. Why are you sorry now, but you weren't before? Paul's saying, look at yourself. See how you live each day. Put to death the things that need to be put to death. Get rid of these things that need to be gotten rid of. Now, this word rid is not of, oh, I'll work on it. I'm going to work on it. No, it's rid. Just like if I told you that there were copperheads in your house. Are you going to say, oh, I'll work on it later? Of course not. You're going to take every part of energy you have to get rid of those copperheads. Okay, you might not, but you're going to get somebody to do it. Because it's important. It's your focus. It's to get rid of the things that you once lived in. And then he starts focusing on how we start relating to each other. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off this old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. The image of the creator. The old self, the new self. What if you went to your wedding, that you're, you're, you're the bride and groom? What if you went to the wedding and just the... Th- piece of clothes that are the oldest, dirtiest, stinkiest clothes you went in. What would people talk about? Would they talk about how y'all talked about the vows and wasn't that nice? Can you believe what they were wearing? All saying, get rid of the old stuff. The stinky stuff. And you're, what, what he also is saying without saying it though is, 
But the good news is it's not that we have to go out and buy a new outfit. God has done that for us. He's given us the opportunity through his spirit to be dressed up the way we're supposed to be, the new self, the way we're supposed to be. It's a renewing thing. We're made to be in the image of our creator. That's what you look at. That's what your focus is. To dress like he does. To be what he is. That's what it matters. That's what makes a difference in our lives. Then in verse 11, he starts stepping on toes. He says, There is to be no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all, is in all. Now we look at those and say, what's the big deal about that? Folks, that's their big deal. Those were the things that culturally could divide them very easily. For us, it could be race. It could be our economic position. It could be whether we're wearing jeans right now or wearing the best of suits. Those are the things that can divide us. Where we start looking at each other and saying, well, you don't quite measure up to me. Paul's saying, no. We're all viewed through Christ. It is who we are. It is what we focus in on. Is this making of Christ in us. Taking off the old and putting on the new. That's our focus. Not what we look like, not the differences, but what unites us, what brings us together. And then he says, based on that, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those Clothes I was talking about God giving you through his spirit. He's just naming some of the pieces of the clothes. Some of the pieces of the outfit. These are the things you should wear. This is what's in fashion, folks. Now, the world may tell you different. But if your mind's set on the things above, if your heart's set on the things above, then you know what's fashion. You know, I am not one who sits there and watches what people are wearing for the Academy Awards and all that stuff. never really enters my mind. But the paper will just throw it at you. The internet will just throw it at you. And some of the stuff that they wear, I say, really? Really? That's fashion? Well, in somebody's mind, it was. But in my mind... But what Paul's trying to get us to say is, who chooses your fashion for you? Who do you wear? That's one of the big questions. Who are you wearing today? When they get on the Academy Awards platform and they start figuring out as people come in what they're wearing. Who are you wearing? Well, who are you wearing? Spiritually. Who are you wearing? 
And that's the question Paul's asking. And he's telling you, if you want to be in fashion, then wear these things. Because they're beautiful. They're what we're designed to wear. But it's not always easy to put these things on. And that's what he talks about next. Verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Bear with one another. You had to do any bearing with another Christian? I do. And you do with me. That's reality. Because we're different. Sometimes, uh, some of y'all next week are going to have to bear coming to church. Depending on what happens Monday. The Clemson fans, if you win, you'll be all happy. USC fans, if Clemson wins, man, I got to go and face so-and-so. You bear with it. You deal with it. Because you realize that's not what it's really all about. It's about encouraging one another and strengthening one another. That's just a little silly example. But sometimes we hurt each other. We do wrong to one another. And you're called to forgive that. And that's hard. That's a fashion piece that we have a hard time putting on. But Paul says, put it on. Why? Because when you look at God, that's what he did for us. And therefore, we're called to do it for each other. And then he talks about the piece that just puts the whole outfit together. That makes us what we're supposed to be. That just sets us off to the teeth. He says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It is the fashion statement, the ultimate one. You put it on over everything else, and it's the first thing you see. The first thing that people should see in you is love. All those other pieces are underneath it. And compliment it but the first thing they should see is love when Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 starts out talking about what love is a lot of times people forget what he said at the end of chapter 12 and now we'll show you the most excellent way the bestest of the best and he starts talking about love that's what he's doing here he's talking about love well, what is love? I'm going to give you an example. I raised two children with my wife, Eunice. The laws of South Carolina say that there are certain things I have to do in the raising of those children. Folks, do I know what those laws are? No. I have no clue what they are. Why? Because my love for my children was going to far exceed any law that I was supposed to follow. That's what love is. It's not looking and saying, how much can I get away with or how little do I have to do? Love says, this is who I am. I care for these people. I love these people. I want the best for these people. That's who you are. 
That's what we're called to show. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. The peace of God, the relationship we have with God, we are no longer orphans. We are no longer on death row waiting for our day of God's wrath. We're now at peace with him. And the good news is that peace overflows into our relationship with each other. We can learn to deal with life and all its complexities, all its hardships, all its aches, knowing that there is a peace that will always remain, no matter what we face. And because of that, we're called to be thankful. You know, if you're somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, part of your spiritual selfish should be to make sure you're thankful. Because we get used to our faith. We get used to what we've been given. At least I do. And we don't stop and think what we've been saved from. We think we're doing God a favor. Look at me. No. Look at God. And be thankful for what we have. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in, in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. What does that mean? You want to know what Christ says. You want to know how, how am I supposed to live based on who Christ is, what he has done for me. How do you find that? Bible study, reading books, learning, wanting to know more. God, how can I be what you've called me to be? Do you seek that? Is that a desire of yours? Paul's saying it should be part of who we are. And then when we have that, we're able to work together as one body the way we're called to, to celebrate who God is to teach one another, to strengthen one another. That's who we're called to be. And then he sums it up in verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. You want to put a statement up? that you need to focus on as you do your spiritual statement, uh, selfie, this is the statement. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You want to set your mind, you want to set your heart to the things of heaven? That's what you do. That's what it's about. A spiritual selfie is something we should do often. I don't know if it'll be 25,000 times in your life as we do with the other selfies in the world, but we're called to do it. But we're called to do it in the right way. We need to make sure that we're looking at what God wants us to be and not what we want to be. This came apparent to me, and what really got me thinking about this sermon was 
back in the day of the World Series, the Houston Astros had just won Game 7 at Dodger Stadium. And everybody in the Houston Astros section, their family section and fans, where they were all in one section, all those people were going ecstatic, going crazy. The players on the field going crazy, and all of them shouting, except one lady. One lady had pulled out her phone, and I saw her. The camera was on for about 10 seconds, not just on her, but the whole crowd, but on her, you could see her. And you could see all the people jumping up and down and all that. And there she was trying to get her hair right and get her pose right so that she could get the event. But she didn't understand the event because she was too focused on herself. Understand the event of Christ dying on the cross for you. Understand what that means. And don't get focused on yourself. Get focused on him. And the celebration we have because of him. That's what it's about. I encourage you. Take all the spiritual selfies you want to. But do so to glorify him. Not to glorify you. Do it to encourage one another, not to get something out of it for you. We're called to take spiritual selfies. Paul tells us to. Jesus tells us to. May we all look and see where are we at? Where am I at with my faith? How am I viewing God? Am I focused on the things of heaven or am I focused on the things of earth? Where are you? What does your spiritual selfie look like? Don't be discouraged if you find places wrong. Folks, we're all going to find places wrong. But then ask God to help you work on it. To get rid of the things that need to be gotten rid of. And to put on the new clothes, the things that we need. Knowing we serve a God who loves us and praising him for what he continues to do. Amen? Closing prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to know your love. God, forgive us for the times when we take that for granted. And Father, I, I pray that as we look at our own lives as, as Christians in this room, that God, we will Take stock of what we're doing with our lives. Where is our focus? What is it about? And God, as we seek to live for you, may we live in a way that proclaims your name, that shows people the difference you make in our lives. Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to get rid of the old and to put on the new. And God, if there's someone in this room who doesn't understand that yet, someone who hasn't done that in their life, I pray that you will continue to work in their lives to reveal to them who you are and the gift given through Jesus Christ. The gift that allows us to be changed. May we all seek your will 
and love you for the God that you are and always will be. Amen.